Welcome back. You're watching Stock Watch with me, Bright Kumalo, and tackling your stock-related questions this evening are Roy Mutoni from APSA Asset Management and Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective. Send those questions via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag stockwatch. Um, Roy, uh, Graham, welcome to the show as usual. Uh, I'll start with you, Roy. Uh, can you give us sort of you know, the market wrap for the JSE today, where did we close? I mean, uh, we had a really bumper day yesterday with, you know, all the PGMs and, you know, oil and gas and even financials uh, doing exceptionally well. And we sort of gave up all of those losses today. No, absolutely. Everything went negative. I think um, at the close, the top what you was up was down about 3.2%, which, which is a big number. And, and I think the, the only real positives were NASPA's process, but everything else, resources sold off, remember the RAND weekend, yeah. um, and, and, and it's all, it, it just looks, we, we've gone back into that wall of worry uh, following, following the sell-off in the U.S. previously before they went into their, into their Independence Day holidays. So yeah, quite a negative day. Yeah, interesting day locally. I mean, like you're saying, the rand is weakening, and it's mostly a dollar story because you're seeing also uh, the dollar is strengthening against even major currencies like the euro and the pound, uh, which you know tells a bigger story of uh, what the Fed's going to do. Um, Graham, uh, talking about global markets, I mean, how we're looking in uh, in, in the U.S. Uh, uh, during the day, or should I say, this morning when I woke up and I checked, the, you know, the futures numbers uh, were in the green about over one percent. By lunchtime, South Africa, we were, you know, only up about half a percent. <laughs> and when I left work, uh, we were, when the markets opened already, we were in the red. What's going on? Yeah, uh, Bryce, I think Roy hit the nail on the head that, uh, you know, <clears throat> NASPAS and Process did their level best uh, to help the market along. Uh, the tech index was up 4%, but... Uh, unfortunately, Anglo is down 8%. The platinum stock's getting absolutely smashed. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the oil price is down um, $10 um, in a day. Suddenly, everybody's panicking about the, the possibility of a of, of, of re recession in the world. Yeah. Um, and in spite of that, you know, the central banks are probably going to carry on tightening. So I think there's a very, a very strong fear in the world that central banks are going to really hit the brakes hard. And, you know, we're going to have somebody, you know, rear-ending us. And uh, the reality is that um, it might take a while then if, if they hit the brakes too hard for, for you know, this, this vehicle to get going again. So um, there's a lot of anxiety around. Of course, we've still got, you know, the whole Ukrainian situation. Uh, but as you said, bro, you know, when we came in Asian markets generally or Pacific markets were looking uh, better and closed a little bit mm. better. Mm. But, um, you know, when, when Anglos, which is, uh, you know, now our biggest play is down 8% on the day, you know it's going to be a really rough day and you're going to have to strap yourself in really tight. Yeah, I mean, I thought the, the, the markets, uh, well, pre-market at least, you know, they were chairing the news that Janet Yellen was speaking to one of the Politburo's, um, you know, officials talking about easing some of those, um, you know, what do you call Trump's, um, yeah, yeah, trade tariffs, tariffs yeah. yeah, to ease inflation on, on individuals. But I guess that was only, you know, temporarily lived uh, because we saw that market sort of reversed after that. Even though, I mean, like you said, Asia held, held up quite nicely and 
you know, we saw Japan, South Korea and all those type of markets, uh, they closed in the green, which was, you know, uh, good. We'll take any good news from here. <laughs> uh, and let's jump into the real reason why we're here, Graham, and to you, Roy. We've got a question here from uh, Lulama on Twitter, uh, who says, what's the long-term view of the fangs, especially Alphabet and Amazon? I don't know how to split this. Um, you can talk about the fangs in general, Roy, uh, but you have to pick one between Alphabet and Amazon. Okay, thanks. Th thank you for that one. <laughs> so, so the thing about about the fangs, um, the, the, you, you have to look at them from two perspectives. First of all, they are what you refer to as long duration stocks, which means a lot of their earnings are expected to come in the longer term. The now, future. during yep. the COVID time, what we had was they had solid balance sheets, lots of cash there. There wasn't a concern about them going out of business. And then everybody was utilizing their services. So their top lines grew a whole lot faster than most people expected. And that's why I think they must be outperformed. Now, out of the COVID um, pandemic, when people started going out and starting to experience experiences more than buying goods, these stocks have suffered, and for a real reason. First of all, um, the top lines are not growing as fast. Secondly, um, rising interest rates reduce, reduce valuation, that's for sure. And then thirdly, it looks like a lot of them had invested way too much, um, expecting this level of demand to be sustained for yeah. longer than the, the pandemic. So when you put all of those things together, there's definitely a correction that, 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 that's going to come, especially for those ones that, um, that, are, that rely on advertising revenue with slightly weaker business models. Those will all struggle. But um, the driver right now is the fact that we don't know where the peak in interest rates are, and as that discount rate rises, the valuations must fall. I think that's that's the that's the bottom line around these around these stocks. And and maybe I'll let Graham add a little bit more there. Yeah, I mean that's a that's an interesting outlook, especially what you said about advertising. I mean, uh, we're seeing TikTok eating, you know, the lunch of uh, sort of you know the, the the social media companies that are towards the bottom. I'm thinking, you know, Pinterest. Um, Snapchat and, and, and those types, and they're even coming for YouTube's lunch. I mean, uh, but the, one of the companies that's losing market share, um, you know, at a, a faster pace, but it makes sense, they're much bigger, is Facebook, particularly while uh, Instagram is actually gaining market share. Interesting insights, you know, in, in the social media side of things. Um, I don't know, but I still, I still think, you know, Facebook, and Instagram, they, they, they want to be there for a while. Um, maybe Graham has differing thoughts here. Graham? Um, well, gentlemen, I think part of the problem is the fact that we, we lumped, uh, if you think about the FANG stocks, um, they're actually very different businesses. Okay. And maybe you might say, you know, Alphabet and Facebook are, are both sort of advertising, social media kind of businesses, whereas... In, in my mind, uh, Amazon is a, is a radically different business. It's a, it's, it's a consumer uh, business, and, and in many ways, Netflix is as well. So I think the very concept that we, we, we labeled these things in, 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 as the fangs and, and saw them as, as, as one is, I think, an indication of the kind of risk appetite that, <clears throat> that was, was brought on by a very loose monetary policy because it really was – you know, it was Hobson's choice. You bought equities uh, or nothing, and a lot of 
traditional stocks. You know, I was looking at a company, Record Bankers, so earlier today. I mean, if you look at their earnings over the last uh, last few years, they've really gone absolutely nowhere. So I think people have been looking for, uh, particularly to the U.S., to to the growth stories, and that's where okay. why the fangs became so so attractive. But the reality is they were very different businesses. So they all went up almost parabolically together. Um, and now we're all looking down and saying, well, you know, hang on a second. They're, they're very different businesses. So, um, Bright, my sense is if I had to pick one, I think the short-term outlook, I think, for Alphabet is probably better than the rest. I, I share Roy's concerns around um, particularly the social media um, guys and, and their revenue models. But I think long term, I, I um, so I think short term, I would argue probably Alphabet because of the the model and the the, the machine that they have. But I think longer term, you've got to back Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, um, interesting. Longer term, so Amazon and 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 Alphabet. Um, there was a, an interesting report from J.P. Morgan basically saying when you're buying Amazon, you're basically only getting the valuation of AWS, and you get the retail consumer business for free and the ad business for free as well, which was, um, uh, you know, quite telling of where valuations are for some of these businesses. So it's going to be a stock pickers market, as I always emphasize on this show. Uh, we have a question from Natu who says, uh, I'm seeing that the MSCI China on a year to date has done better than the S&P 500. Uh, do you think that the trend is sustainable in the next two quarters? Um, Roy? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, but I think what, what it does is it, it highlights the fact that China and the U.S. have been going in different directions. So, so we saw the whole issue around the slowdown in the residential um, sector in China, um, the whole regulatory pressure and everything. Um, and all of that came to a head, and it looks like they've become a lot more market-friendly. Um, on the, the U.S. on the other side is pretty much an island. Strong demand there but very aggressive interest rate hikes. And that's what's driven the, the sell-off in the S&P. I mean, if, if, you, if you listen to what a lot of the commentators are saying, this sell-off has been purely a rating. So your price of earnings has come down significantly, and that's a direct result of, the, of, of interest rate moves. In China, what you have is improving sentiment, not necessarily a buoyant environment, but improving sentiment following a long period of a sell-off. So yeah. you basically bounced off the bottom and maybe started recovering. Now, the, the question is, what's going to happen in the next two quarters? So, so if, if I look at the contrast between the two, over the next two quarters, we're looking towards whether the U.S. is going to peak in terms of interest rate hikes. And in China, we're looking to see whether they're going to actually stimulate the economy further. So, so it would be logical to imagine that the trend is sustained. But remember, in ah. the next two quarters, the market starts looking forward the next 12 to 18 months about who's going to recover, who's got the GDP, and which company should be favored. So th this, is not, th this trend is happening for a specific reason. And I think it's just the diversion in where it, the, the dispersion of where economic growth is in both of those two markets. Okay, so don't bet against the trend. I think that's the saying in Wall Street. Um, uh, Graham, um, any th any further thoughts on the on the two you know divergence or dichotomies? I don't want I don't know what to call it. 
Yeah. So I think I think Roy um, summarized it beautifully. Um, I think the other thing, of course, is you, you've got 1.3 billion people, and uh, you know the Chinese authorities have been tapping the brakes. Uh, mm. But I think in in some ways they've caused a lot of chaos um, in the construction sector uh, by sort of you know looking the other way when when uh, when a lot of these construction companies were starting to experience balance sheet strain. They've obviously caused a lot of chaos in the tech sector. And I think there's a new wind there. They don't want to break the economy. So I think in, in many ways, the Chinese economy, um, especially because it's, it's, it's centrist, you know, they can open taps and do things. You know, for Joe Biden to get anything done in America is pretty difficult because, um, and we'll see after the primaries, how that actually looks. So I, I think Roy was, was right, but I think part of the, the, the reason is the fact that also, you know, China, it, it's recovered in the last while, and I'm grateful for that because we bought some China trackers not too long ago, and, and, and that was really painful. But um, I think the Chinese economy is, is something that you've got to be exposed to. Um, I think you've got to take the view that they're not going to break the Chinese economy, and if they do, you know but South Africa, in many ways, is a call option on, on China. So, you know, if, if China goes into, into free fall, we've got big problems. And today is an example of, of, of when, when commodity prices do start going. So I would say the, the, the medium-term prospects for China are probably better, from, both from an economic growth point of view, a policy point of view. Yeah. So I, I, would, I would be more inclined to China. Let's talk about commodities for a second. We've got a couple of questions here, which I'm going to go through. The one comes from Tahir, who says, is the market pricing in a recession? Uh, question mark. And Glencore Anglos a buy. So I think he's just asking whether, you know, Glencore and um, uh, Anglo are worth, you know, the long-term uh, buy since, you know, the trend is favoring them at this time. And another question from Russell, um, you know, to, to, to lump into that question is asking about African rainbow uh, minerals. Also, you know, it being a cyclical stock, um, that one is, you know, sort of working. Uh, is this a good entry point at these levels? So I'll start with you, uh, Graham. Yes, Graham. Very bright. My connection's a little unstable. It's load shedding. Um, uh, what I heard was was Glencore Anglo's and and sort of you know the likes of African Rainbow Capital. Um, African Rainbow Minerals. Sorry. Okay. While commodity um, price. Sorry, you can, can hear you hear me. On. Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so, I mean, there really was bigger full theory in the commodity markets, uh, especially given the, the risks that, that growth would slow. So I wouldn't be a buyer of... Ish. Okay, let's move on to you, Roy. Um, I'll take, I'll take the, the answer from stops uh, right now, but Graham I think the question about comes down to your risk appetite, if I could put it... Okay, cool. Let's go, Roy. All right. Yes, so, sorry about that. So, so I, I think if, if you take it from the top um, and, and maybe have a rule of thumb when, when you talk about commodity stocks, yeah. they're very different from industrial stocks. So generally, industrial stocks, you look at them, when the PE is low, you tend to buy so that you, you wait for the, for the re-rating and then you sell at the top of the cycle. Commodity stocks tend to be the precise opposite. You tend, when, when the PE is very low, you know what's happening is that 
you expect earnings to be hammered and the PE to rise. So you only buy them actually when they seem expensive and you sell them when they seem cheap. That's, that's pretty much what you, that, that's pretty much a commodity cycle. So where we are right now, you, you look at Africa Rainbow Minerals, probably trading at about a 3, 4 PE. Anglo is also at like 6, 7 PE or thereabouts. So optically cheap, but in reality, that's the trap that you should avoid um, at this point in the cycle. When they look this optically cheap, what it's telling you is that the market's not expecting much growth. It's expecting these earnings to actually go backwards. Wow. So if, so if you look at the stocks themselves, I think the way to consider it is, first of all, from a rating perspective, this is a difficult time. But when you look at the individual ones, if you need somewhere to hide, I suppose Glencore is more a trader, so it's able to be more flexible in the market than the others, so maybe that's one to look at. But when you look at the individual stocks, definitely look at the combination of, of, of commodities that they have in them. So Africa Rainbow has the steel-making commodities and platinum somewhere within there, which have been really sold off. I mean, you look at all the commodity prices, they're well off their highs. And when I last looked at them, they were probably, what, 40 50% for most commodities. So that, that, that's a message that the market is sending you. The market is telling you, yes, these things look cheap. They look cheap because we know where earnings are going to go. So, okay, um, so I, I hope that gives it a good framework for your no 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 i like that framework i'm also learning something new here so they're cheap and they're cheap for a reason um i see graham is a little bit more stable uh, sorry graham to cut you off there let's give it a second chance <laughs> no i think roy summarized it beautifully you 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 buy commodity stocks when they're on 30 pe's and the outlook is improving you don't buy them when they're on sevens and, and, and the earnings are going to halve or, you know go to who knows where so i think he's He's absolutely right, but I think I come back to to um, exactly what he was saying is just be aware of what they what they produce, um, you know, um, <clears throat> and again the the cost at which they produce, and that's what I was saying. Something like PHP, I think, is a very different business, given uh, the low cost base and the geographic spread relative, say, to a, an African rainbow uh, minerals. Okay, interesting. Um, we have another question, um, sort of commodity related. Uh, from Mwabi, who says Brent crude price took a knock with intensified fears of global recession. What's your sh uh, short-term to medium-term uh, view on Cecil, given the likelihood of the global recession and its negative impact on demand uh, for oil? Uh, oil, uh, sort of like coal, you know, they sit in a unique spot currently, so I'm keen to hear, uh, you know, your thoughts here. Um, I'll start with you, Roy. Um, yeah, so energy the, the energy complex has been a complete outlying commodity um coal and oil have rallied completely and, and i guess that that's a reflection of where the world is right now so so if you think about coal, um, about oil um the, we, production was constrained significantly because of the lack of demand um and then they slowly towards the end of the pandemic they started increasing now you've gotten to a point where i think we've suddenly understood that a lot of the capacity that these producers claim they had doesn't exist. So countries like Nigeria, Angola, even Saudi and Russia are producing pretty much as much as they could. And that's why you had that, um, that big rally in prices. Then demand started recovering and started pushing it. What we're seeing now is actually quite interesting that if we think that demand is going to fall or if demand in China is actually quite soft, then the upward pressure on prices comes off. Over the short to medium term, 
it's very difficult to increase um, supply in, in, in oil. And remember, because of ESG and all of that, um, there's not much investment that has happened. So, so I think you can take it that structurally over the medium term, you're going to have a shortage of supply and demand is what's going to fluctuate um, quite a bit. So when China shuts down because of some COVID, because uh, of a COVID scare, demand falls, prices come off a little bit. When they open up and, and planes are flying all over the world, then uh, demand for oil goes up. The supply response is not necessarily that strong and prices go up. So, so I think that's the way to think of it. Sasol, from a domestic perspective, remember, Sasol um, sells petrol. That, that's, that, that's one thing that's for sure. Um, they're coming through a deleveraging cycle when everything is quite negative for them. And only now are you going to see the big cash flows in the balance sheet and the ability to pay big dividends. So that's not one to ignore at this point in time. That's one to keep definitely front of mind. And if spot prices are retained at current levels, um, you probably will see a better than expected dividend on that. And that's what you're looking out for um, when you look at energy commodities right now. Yeah, I like the news of a, a dividend, uh, you know, in Cecil. Um, I, I remember the days when it was called the Big Blue or something, or something <laughs> along those, those lines. It's when the dividends were raining left, right and centre. I'm not sure if we're going to go back to those days, but it's positive. Uh, Graham, Cecil? Yeah, I think the other thing, of course, is Cecil do hedge oil and, and, and commodity prices and uh, currency. So, you know, they don't always benefit immediately. Um, and I, I think it would be quite sad to see oil back at, at around $100 a barrel. It's nice speaking after Roy, because I can just say, you know, I'll just listen to what he's saying. But I think that the I have a fundamental worry about Cecil, and that is that if you look at it over 10 years, for example, it, it, it's it, it's got a obviously excluding the COVID thing, which was partly self-induced because of the, the balance sheet in uh, Lake Charles. But it, it's in a range, call it 350 to 450. That's kind of where it normally is and has been there for a very long time. And that, I think, talks to a fairly static business model. So, um, you know, Sassels to me is a, is a business that I don't think we want to own five years from now. Um, the question is just when do we when do we get out? We were hoping to see sort of 450, 500, um, and maybe we will get back there, but it's... Uh, it's not a business that, that that particularly inspires me. I think there've been a lot of own goals. Damage was done to the balance sheet. Um, and ultimately, they're a price taker in large part. Yeah, muy gracias, mi amigos, for, uh, you know, those answers are exceptional. But it's the moment of truth now. Um, I'll start with you, Roy. Um, your stock pick for the evening. So, so I've said, think, thinking about where we are with regards to inflation and everything, my stock pick is ShopRite. Um, I okay. think ShopRite so it sold off um, from its highs of 230s to 240s. It's now somewhere around 200. And I think at that level, the valuation looks attractive for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, we're, we're in a high inflationary environment, um, and they've been able to keep their food inflation um, at lower than headline inflation. So that probably speaks to, to management discipline and the ability to manage their costs. But from a consumer perspective, I think what you'll see there is at least volumes being supported as people trade down, as people become more astute with managing their budgets and everything, a company like ShopRite should be able to trade really well during this time of rising inflation. Um, and you're getting in at a reasonable multiple. Last time I checked, it was heading towards that 15, 16 times, which, which to me is fair, 
relative to where they were before. I mean, there was a time when they were touching a P multiple of above 20s, which, which, yeah, I mean, in my mind, despite its quality and everything, would be extended. So, yeah, that's my that's my pick for for this evening. Okay, fantastic. Um, you call it, you know, good management and cost control. Um, I don't know. I've worked in the fast-moving consumer goods. Um, industry and I can tell you that uh, you know one of the toughest negotiators I've ever come across were definitely ShopRite buyers and they don't blink they hold you hostage for the whole day and wow that has done wonders for the consumer to say the least yes um, Graham um, what's your stock pick for the evening sorry gents I was out of the conversation for, uh, sorry about all these tech issues um, I am going to go with the Fushini Group, TFG. Um, I think it's a very, very well-placed business. It shares virtually where it was five years ago. I think it's a much better business today. Uh, I think it's quite a lot of earnings momentum. They're doing some very exciting things, um, including creating quite a few jobs and protecting jobs. Uh, forward multiples, very undemanding, strong cash flow, good balance sheet, good leadership, good a mix of of, of, uh, of uh, companies inside their targeting different LSM groups and um and uh, yeah, I think TFG at 120 is really cheap. Okay, fantastic. So the Foschini Group and Shoprite. So it's a clothing retailer and a food retailer, and you know that's where we wrap it up. Um, thanks to my guests, uh, Roy Mutoni from Absa Asset Management and Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective. Stockwatch is back again tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a good evening. Mm -hmm.